If you haven't seen the movie Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, then I'm not really sure what happened to your childhood. Of course, it's also a a book. So hopefully you're familiar with the plot of the story, that this eccentric chocolate uh, candy maker, he sends out these golden tickets. Kids get the tickets. They come in to, to tour the factory, and there's just a few of these tickets. The problem is that as they're touring the factory, each child's character flaw is revealed. And as it's revealed, these strange orange little guys known as Oompa Loompas sing uh, about the morality of that character flaw and they usher the person out. Well, you've got uh, one child that represents gluttony, one that represents rudeness, one that represents selfishness, another is vainglory. And then you get to little Charlie, who though is not perfect, is mostly free of these things, and because of that, he's able to inherit uh, the the candy empire, okay? That's the secret contest that's been going on. Well, what if instead of being free of all these character flaws, little Charlie had all of them? Well, that's kind of the situation that we find ourselves in dealing with Samson. Let me show you what I mean on this episode of By the Verse. Well, thank you again for joining me on By the Verse. This podcast is all about God's Word. We find ourselves deep in the book of Judges, and we're dealing now with the judge uh, who's called Samson. Now, of course, in our last episode, we talked about his amazing birth announcement and how the angel interacted with his parents and how they responded and how that is foreshadowing some of the things that would play out in his life, some ironic things that would play out in his life, that he would somehow begin to deliver God's people and yet at the same time be named after not Yahweh or or anything that's reminiscent of him, but after a sun god from the Canaanites. And we know virtually nothing about his growing up years except that God blessed him and that he grew up and that the Spirit of the Lord in some way interacted with him during those growing up years. And so in chapter 14, we encounter the grown-up Samson. And we're about to meet a guy who's going to fall horribly short of the expectations that we probably had of him Uh, when we were listening to what the angel was saying about him and and how his birth story came about. So let's pick it up here in Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah, now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all the people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and his mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel." Now, in just a few verses, we have quite a bit to unpack here. Uh, When it says that Samson went down to Timnah, 
which is a town that's really not far from his hometown. It's a town that's not necessarily unique like to the Philistines. I mean, this is a town that is deep in the heart of uh, Israel, basically. I mean, this is deep in the heart of the promised land that God uh, was giving his people. And yet we see here that the Philistines are free uh, to live here and that they have great interaction with the people of God. And there's no fighting. There's no warring here. There's no contention here. And so he sees this woman and he wants her as a wife. Now, we have no indication that there was any interaction with this woman. You know, it just says that he saw her, and uh, I guess it was love or lust uh, at first sight. And when he returned to his parents, uh, he didn't make a request of them. He didn't ask permission. Uh, He didn't ask if they would be okay with this. Instead, he demanded that they get her for him. Now, in this day, it would have been ultimately up to the father to make the arrangements, uh, to to be heavily involved in this, to agree to all of it, okay? Uh, But he doesn't ask his father's advice or blessing. He simply demands that his parents provide this for him because it's what he wants. This is very rude, okay? This is a very rude, disrespectful uh, demand, and it shows his childishness. This is what a child does when you're in the store and you see a piece of candy and they want that. They've got to have that right now. And when you say no, oh man, here comes the tantrum, okay? But his parents' response is the correct one. They want to know, hey, I mean, out of all the girls here, okay, out of all the girls that are in your your people group, out of all the girls in our clan, all the 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 Jews basically around in this area. You can't find like one of them. And it shows their disdain, not just uh, for uh, the Philistines, but saying that she's an uncircumcised, that she's of the uncircumcised Philistines. And this is important because they're not objecting to her ethnicity. They're objecting to the fact that she is uh, of the people who do not carry the covenant sign of circumcision. Of course, the Jews were forbidden to marry, to intermarry with the people in the land, and it had absolutely nothing to do with their ethnicity. As we've said before on this podcast, it has everything to do with mixing faith. So this is clearly a woman who's not a uh, proselyte to uh, Judaism. Uh, She does not believe in Yahweh or acknowledge Yahweh. She is very much in her own culture, in her own religion. And Samson has no concern about that. He's not concerned about her status as a member of the people of God through faith. He is only concerned with how she looks. Because the emphasis at the beginning of this is that he saw her. So this is not someone that he's had a lot of interaction with. Uh, Someone that he came to see, hey, you know, she's a pleasant person and she treats me well. Okay, the writer emphasized the fact that he saw her her and that she was right. This is an important phrase. She was right in his eyes. Now, if you've been studying the Bible for a long period of time, you've probably heard people say that the theme of the book of Judges is that everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. But if you've been following along on this podcast, now here we are deep into the story in chapter 14, and we haven't had that phrase anywhere because that phrase actually doesn't occur 
until later on in chapter 17, where it says everybody did what was right uh, in their own eyes. But here in Samson's story, uh, we have not the fullness of that, but we have kind of the beginning of it. We have a guy here who represents this view that is going to become the prevailing view throughout the rest of the book. It doesn't matter what is right or wrong in God's eyes. It only matters what is right and wrong in my own eyes. If we remember the beginning of Samson's story in chapter 13, it says the phrase that we've heard many times in the book up to this point that Israel did what was wrong in whose sight? Well, in the sight of the Lord. Now that should tell you something. Sometimes we know our actions are wrong. We know that we are violating the moral standard that the Lord has laid out for us. But if we do that over and over and over again, we get to a point where we are no longer fully able to discern the difference between right and wrong. But instead, the very thing that is wrong actually seems right in our eyes. In our eyes, it is right, it is fair, it is practical, it is culturally accepted, it is the standard of our time. But in God's eyes, well, he may have the very opposite opinion. So what we're going to see later on in the book is that everybody's just going to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes, and Samson is the one that opens the door thematically to that. He wanted this woman because she seemed right in his eyes, even though this marriage between a a Hebrew and someone who is not a convert to worshiping Yahweh um, is strictly forbidden. So this marriage is wrong in Yahweh's eyes, but it's right in Samson's eyes. We should be very careful that we do not rationalize our own sinful desires. You can make an argument that it is good to do whatever it is that you really want to do, irrespective of whether it is right in the sight of the Lord. Because there would have been nothing wrong with Samson going down to Timnah. He sees this young lady. He thinks, man... She's attractive. She's got a great personality. Man, I wish I could get to know this girl. But there's a problem. She's not in the covenant people with Yahweh, so I can't go there. But of course, that's not what happened here. The writer of Judges indicates uh, something very important in verse 4. He says, The father and, and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At this time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God was the one enticing Samson uh, to want this girl? Does it mean God was leading him into doing something that is actually a violation of Mosaic law? Well, we know it doesn't mean that at all. God does not tempt us to sin. First off, the Bible is very clear that God will give you over to your own desires. Uh, Paul says that in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So you can go so far for so long, so often, that you know what? God just steps out of, out of your way. And he just allows you to do whatever it is that you want to do. But then God reserves the right to use your own inclinations against you. 
he reserves the right to seize the opportunity afforded by Samson's disregard to the Mosaic law and to the high standard that he was supposed to be living under his Nazarite vow. So God did not make Samson want her, but he knew that he would want her. And because of that, he used this as an opportunity to bring conflict between the Hebrews and the Philistines. Now, I know sometimes I say Philistines, sometimes I say Philistines, but, you know, English, they say it one way, the British say it a different way. And so, because I listen to people from both sides of the ocean, uh, I'm tempted to say it either way. So, listen, say it however you want, okay? It is what it is. Now, the people of God and the enemies of God at this time are both living in relative peace. The Hebrews and the the Philistines, they are not fighting right now. The Hebrews had accepted the, the lordship of the Philistines, and they were free to travel between the towns and to live right among them and to intermarry and all of that. Now, when, you, uh, when it came to matters of authority and who was going to set the rules, well, of course, the Philistines did that because they had lordship over uh, the Jews at the time. But the people of God apparently were at peace with it. Just because you can make peace with sin doesn't mean that God can make peace with it. Just because you can be okay with it doesn't mean God is okay with it. So God will sometimes cause problems and troubles and conflicts in the very areas of our lives that he wants to deal with. If God doesn't use Samson to provoke the Philistines, then God's people would just continue living under their rule, not have any problem with everything that comes along with that. Notice they never cried out to the Lord at the beginning of Samson's story. They were fine with the Philistines, but God was not. And God used this to, make, to begin to make a wedge uh, between his people and the surrounding nations because he's always wanted a holy people unto himself. He wanted a people that would not just make cozy, peaceful lives with sinful people, but he wanted a people who would be under his loyalty and lordship. All right, let's carry on in verse five. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tear his, tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion." So Samson's father and mother acquiesce to his request. Uh, He is their only child. Maybe they're older. Maybe he's just spoiled. He's used to getting uh, his way. He wore them down and they go down. They're going to make all the arrangements for this because they got to get the family to agree to this and and make all the arrangements. Well, apparently as they're on their way to do this, they must have gotten separated while they were at this vineyard because... Uh, something happens that uh, his parents don't know about. 
Now, why are they even at a vineyard? Okay. I mean, this is a guy, Samson is a guy who's not supposed to have anything to do with grapes. Now, it doesn't say that he gleaned some grapes as he walked along or anything uh, like that, but as a Nazarite, he's not uh, supposed to partake of any fruit of the vine, okay? Whether it's alcoholic, non-alcoholic, he's not allowed to eat these grapes whatsoever, okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say that he ate any, okay? But the indication here is that, well, he's really close to it. You know, he's right there where it is. He's not supposed to have this in his life, but he's right there where it is. And sometimes we think that we can get close to what we're not supposed to be close to. And we think that we can hold the line and never touch it. But of course, we're going to see that he does a bit more here uh, than touch it. He's going to full on break his vow. Because while he, he's there, separated from his parents in this vineyard, a lion uh, comes out. The Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. He tears a lion in, in uh, two. And now the Nazarite vow basically restricts him from touching anything that is dead. But the vow had a provision in it in Numbers chapter 6 because it could uh, foresee that there might be a situation where you know, you, you have to kill something because you were attacked by something or whatever. And so it has a provision in it that if for whatever reason, you know, you came in contact with something dead, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to the tabernacle. You're supposed to go through this ceremony. You're supposed to shave your head. You're supposed to basically start your vow over. You're supposed to renew your vow. You're unclean for a certain amount of time. And then after that, you know, your vow starts over and, and everything's good right? It was, a, it was a reset button that was in it. So it wasn't like, okay, you failed and you're just miserable and there's no, you know, nothing you can do about it. There was a reset button built in, okay? Well, it's not Samson's fault that uh, a lion uh, showed itself to him, roared uh, like it did, and he felt the need to, to defend himself, okay? It's not, that's not his fault. But it is his fault that once he reconnected with his parents, he didn't tell them. And he probably didn't tell them because he didn't want to go through the inconvenience of getting purified. He could have come to them and said, hey, listen, uh, this happened, uh, but we, we got to stop this wedding process right now. We got to put this on hold. I need to make a beeline to the tabernacle so that I can renew my vow and, and start over. He didn't want to do that. He had a woman on his mind and probably some other things that go along with that as well. So as this story plays out, we're going to see over and over and over that this is a guy who doesn't really take holiness very seriously. He just doesn't really seem to have a reverence or respect for spiritual things. The reality is spiritual things are inconvenient. I mean, recently, uh, someone was telling me a story about a missionary in Argentina long ago and they were having a great move of God. God was doing some special things. But during that time, there were a lot of newspaper stands along the street. So as you would walk along the street, you'd see the newspapers, and they were kind of raunchy. I mean, there were some risque things uh, on them. And so he didn't want to see all that because he didn't want to hinder uh, the giftedness and the calling that God had on his life. So instead of walking down the street like normal people would do, uh, which he would risk seeing these things and maybe even be tempted to look a little bit longer than what he should, uh, he decided to walk behind these newspaper stands 
so he wouldn't see it. That's how seriously he took the giftedness and the calling that God had upon his life. Now, I'm not saying we need to all be super uh, extreme like that. I mean, in our day and age, I mean, you'd have to gouge out your eyes not to unintentionally see anything anywhere, okay? I mean, I, I get all of that, but I tell that story just to illustrate that you should take your calling and your giftedness seriously and not want to do anything that compromises that. But we don't see any of that in Samson. Instead, verse 7 emphasizes that, man, after he talked to this girl, ooh, she was right in his eyes. That's what was important to him. Now, to make matters worse, after a while, so they made the arrangements, but after they come back to actually you know, do the, the process, um, he goes to check out the carcass. Why? He's not supposed to be around dead things. He's not supposed to touch anything dead, but man, he's, he really wants to go check out this carcass of this lion that he killed, and he notices something that is bizarre. Now, it's unusual for bees to make a hive inside the carcass of an animal, okay? But that is what happens here, and so he decides to do the very gross thing of scraping out some of this honey. I mean, it would have been one thing for him to just see it and, oh, wow, it's honey. That's weird that that is in there. Okay, I checked it out. Now I'm going back on my mission. He didn't do that. He scraped some out, thereby touching the dead animal, making himself unclean, breaking his vow. Not only did he eat the honey along the way, but he gives some to his parents, okay? So Samson not only has uh, no regard for his own spiritual purity, but he has no regard for his parents' uh, spiritual lives either. Because as we mentioned on the last episode, really the Jews weren't supposed to have interaction uh, with dead bodies. If you did, it made you ceremonial un- unclean, and you know there was a process you had to go uh, about in dealing with that. So Samson, man, he's selfish. He's a secretive person. And uh, the secrets he's going to keep is not going to do very well for him. Let's pick it up in verse 10. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there. For so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle uh, that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, 
before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Okay, so here we have uh, the preparations are being made uh, for this. They do a seven-day feast. At the end of this time, the marriage would have been consummated. That would have been that. But to show just how fully integrated this uh, pagan culture has become with at least Samson, we have no indication okay, that his, that his people were there. Uh, this, is, this is a Philistine party, basically. It's all Philistines. And uh, he's got 30 companions of the Philistines. This would have been their tradition. Um, these, these people were either given to him just to attend to him as the groom or as kind of like a bodyguard to make sure that all of the proceedings uh, went well. Um, now, in English, it just says feast, but in the Hebrew, it indicates that this was a drinking feast. So, of course, there was a lot of drinking going on. Now, here's the guy that's not supposed to have anything to do with wine, okay? But he's the guy throwing the party. He's the guy throwing the drinking feast. And that's just odd, okay? But it just shows uh, his attitude toward things. Now, he puts this riddle to these 30 companions. Maybe he was just feeling a little cocky, you know, feeling uh, himself. And, of course, they're not going to be able to answer this riddle because they would have to have the information that, at the time, no one knew, right? And the wager here is actually a large sum of money, okay? People didn't have clothes falling out of their closets, donating clothes to goodwill because they have so many clothes, they just can't, you know, wear them all and all of this. You know, if you have clothes in your closet you haven't worn in years, you know, that, that was not the case, uh, for ancient uh, Hebrews, really ancient people. So this amount of clothes represents actually a large amount uh, of money. So it's, it's significant, okay? So of course they lean on Samson's wife. Uh, she then leans on him and cries and nags and nags and nags, okay? Now, it's interesting, in much the same way that Samson went to his parents to nag them into allowing this marriage to happen. His wife cries and cries and cries and presses him hard until he finally acquiesces. See, sometimes the, tax, the tactic uh, that you use to get what you want will be the same tactic that is used against you. We saw that way back in Abimelech's story where he kills his brothers on a stone, but by the end of the story, it's a stone that falls on him and kills him. We see that in Jacob's story, that he cheated his own brother out of his birthright, but what happens? He meets his match in Laban, and Laban cheats him uh, out of the daughter that he wanted, and he had to work a double to get her. And later on, Jacob says, you've changed my wages, you know, a bunch of times, right? His, his uh, uncle is cheating him much in the way that he cheated. Okay? Samson has manipulated his parents into allowing this marriage to happen, and now his wife is going to manipulate his emotions so that he tells her the secret. And of course, when he does, the men come back in a poetic retort to Samson, and he realizes that uh, his wife must have told. Okay, Now, here's just a word to the wise. Never call your wife a heifer. All right, that's not going to go well for the marriage. Don't say it to her or behind her back. Just not a good idea. All right, verse 19. 
And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Eshkelon and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Now, this is strange because it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And what does he do after the the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him? He commits murder and grand larceny. Okay. Now, I think we should get this straight that just because um, a person is gifted uh, doesn't mean that everything they do is right. Okay. This is God um, just kind of taking advantage of Samson's anger. And he's allowing Samson to abuse his giftedness that God has put on his life. And we see this very much today that people have great giftedness. And instead of using it to help people, they actually use it for personal gain and advantage for themselves. They use it for financial gain. They use it to manipulate impressionable women for sexual favors. I mean, this is an old story. We're all familiar with people who have great giftedness in the kingdom of God. But then you later find out that what they were actually about was money, fame, sex, power, whatever. Okay, The gifts that God gives can easily be abused and misused. But even when people are abusing the gift of God, well, God can still use it to accomplish his purpose. Because as we will see in the next uh, few chapters, this is going to begin to stir up the hornet's nest. This situation is going to begin to bring conflict between the Philistines and God's people. Because ultimately, what God wants is... Uh, to rule over his own people. But that's not going to happen unless there's some conflict uh, between these two groups that have gotten so cozy. So after Samson's hot anger and rage, he's killed these uh, men senselessly. Uh, He takes their items. He pays his debt to the 30 companions. He goes home. He never actually finishes the ceremony to officially receive his wife, which is why the father thought it was okay uh, to give her to his, what says here, his best man. But really, it's just one of the 30 companions. So he gave him to another Philistine. So what is the takeaway from this chapter? Samson is really just an expression of the spiritual condition of the people uh, of Israel. Samson is selfish. He has no regard for the authority of his parents, no regard for the authority of God. He does not care about his personal holiness. He only wants all of his sensual desires gratified, and he wants it now, even despite his high calling. The people of God have a high calling that through them God's Messiah would come and that the Jews were supposed to be a light to the whole world. And yet, what do we see them doing all throughout their history? We see them not living up to the standard that God had for them. We see them constantly doing the exact opposite and living the exact opposite of how God had called them to live, just like Samson. But God used them anyway. God accomplished his plan anyway. Because God will accomplish his plan with us or in spite of us. And often the thing that will determine which direction that will go in is whether you are more concerned with the way things look in God's eyes or the way they look in your own eyes. Well, we're going to continue Samson's story in our next episode because even though this chapter is kind of pretty bad, actually his story is going to get a lot worse. So 
I thank you for listening today. Don't forget to like and share this material. And we will see you next time on By The Verse.